everybody, this is Eric Krasno and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. Once again, I want to thank everybody that's been tuning in and sharing the show with your friends. All of you that have been messaging me, I've been getting your messages and it's been really helpful. A lot of great guest suggestions and other questions. We've been uh, working on the guest list as well. For those of you that don't know, uh, the guest list is the premium version of the show where you can listen ad-free. I also answer questions and bonus episodes and talk with other guests. So if you want to check that out, you can go to OsirisPod.com. They also have a lot of other great content at Osiris, so I want to give a shout out to Osiris Media and the whole team that helps me put this show together. I'm really excited right now because music is coming back. Live music is coming back, I should say. Been rehearsing with my band all week. We've got some shows coming up. We're playing at Cervantes on June 5th. Uh, and I just found out they're actually expanding the capacity. So there's still tickets left for that show. Uh, putting together my new band, The Assembly, which features some incredible musicians uh, Otis McDonald, James the Eighth, Curtis Kelly, Will Blades, and hopefully some special guests will be in the house. So we're Starting to rehearse, getting new music together. It's great to play again, and we're excited to get out there and play. We play Red Rocks opening for the Motet on June 4th, and a lot of other cool festivals and shows have been announced. We're playing the Huluween Festival down in Florida with Leon Bridges and Krungbin and Lettuce and a bunch of other great acts. So uh, I'm excited, man. We're getting back on the road. We're, we're playing shows. It felt like it was never going to happen, um, but the time has come, and it feels great. I'm really excited to have Citizen Cope on the show today. We have a really cool conversation. Really interesting guy, an amazing musician, great songwriter. He's really carved his own lane as an artist and has a sound that's completely original and unique. So it was really interesting for me to find out a little bit more about his influences and how he came up in the music industry. So uh, I'm excited to get into that interview, but first we're gonna take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. All right, he's an amazing musician, artist, producer, and songwriter. I'd like to welcome today's Plus One, Citizen Cope. How has uh, quarantine life treated you? Have you been uh, enjoying it to a certain degree? I've been enjoying it. Yeah. You know you know how the road can be, man. It's, it's one of those things that you love, but it's something like you might not notice. You're just on the wheel, you know, yeah, yeah. so it's just kind of good to get perspective on what what that wheel can actually do for you yeah, and what yeah. direction it can take you. Yeah, I felt like slowing down helped me appreciate a lot of things about being on the road, but also allowed me to kind of see what what which pieces of it are important and which pieces are maybe not as important. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I think definitely having a family is a whole different, gives it a different perspective too. But you know, you've toured a lot over the years, but I know in the very beginnings, um, I'm, I'm curious like what led to tour. Cause when I met you, you know, you had the full band, you had like the touring unit, the bus and all of that. Um, but I know in, in the beginning stages, it was just you and a guitar. 
I did some shows with a band in DC, but I yeah. I, I just recorded all the stuff. I kind of like, you know, did did most of the the recordings and and kind of got the record, my music kind of together. Yeah, and then started getting offers to do live shows, and 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 so that's when I would put like a group of guys together and we would play together. And didn't really have a solid band foundation or even really. I was playing live and doing shows, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a touring unit or a regional kind of even uh, thing going until I got signed. Going way back, um, you came up in DC um, at the time when you were kind of developing as a musician, Go-Go was like strong in DC. Yeah. Um, was that a big influence for you? Were you, were you like a, a fan of Chuck and, and like all of that music that was going on? Yeah, I was a huge, huge Go-Go fan, huge fan of Chuck Brown, Trouble Funk, Your yeah. Essence, EU. The, paint, the White House Black record was great, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously. But then there was a huge culture of seeing shows. And so I, I started seeing like Chuck Brown and Trouble Funk and later essence and stuff like that and and got a chance to see backyard and was was really influenced by those guys and it turns out where i was doing my demos was run by a, a was the engineer for a go-go band and founder of a go-go band called rare essence oh yeah that's like one of the one of the legend one of the legendary groups yeah i went to a chuck brown i gave chuck brown my demo tape and he he really liked it and called me and everything and was like, you know, go record, try, try this guy. I got introduced by some, some manager people that hooked me up with, with Mike Neal. And I went and recorded some stuff with him and have recorded pretty much like a couple songs, at least from every record, you know, I did my first demos. It got me signed there and, Right, right. right. Well, so he please played on a lot of stuff, and then I used a go-go drummer. Well, it's not just a go-go drummer. Drummer plays in backyard. Uh, Paul Edwards, Paul Buggy okay. Edwards. Yep, yep, yep. So he's he's played on a lot of a lot of my stuff. So I kind of like it's not a go-go music what I do at all, but it 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 I've used some go-go players because I love the pocket. And I think that the drums are like something that's really important in a lot of your production and a lot of your music. But then again, I've seen you perform it, just you and the guitar, and it's equally as powerful, and in some cases, even even more so. I'm curious, like when you picked up a guitar and started singing and, and, and writing, what were you listening to back then? I mean, I, besides Go-Go, like what were some of the the records that made you want to pick it up? Man, I went through, you know, all the different stages of, of listening to like, you know, when I was younger, like what was contemporary at that time from like the listening and then going through like, you know, what your parents listened to, the classic rock stuff, the Hendrix, the Beatles, the Doors, the like, you know, a friend of mine was listening to Neil Young a lot. And, yeah. and, and so got that thing and the and then the hip hop thing came along and got heavy into to that early on obviously you know like the first records of Jackson 5 and stuff like that and and you know, my sister liked what was contemporary so she'd be having 45s and playing like what was on the radio and so yeah. I get that thing and then 
you know, it was a great collection of records that I had access to and then other friends would play stuff. So I kind of went through all those periods. So I went kind of like through that, that whole thing. And then I started doing music and I got opened up to, you know, it's kind of crazy, but even, even the hip hop records opened me up to a lot of records that I didn't know about. So I would check out with this boy and then, okay, this was, this was from this or this from that. And I'd start checking out those artists. And, you know, when I started writing and got heavier into, um, Al Green and Bob Marley and really in, into kind of uh, Marvin Gaye, what's going on? Like, you know, it's a very big record and Stevie Wonder songs of the key of life, all those records, like talking book and music of my mind, just as a producer and everything. And just as a performer, but I, the Genesis was just guitar and me singing. And I, I'd learned how to sample and do drum machines, but then I was like, I can't play a song for my grandmother. So I was like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I could, I, I'm not a guitar player, but I just used it to write songs. And then right. the, like that kind of moved back to just like putting away the drum machines and stuff and just going back and writing some songs. And then I evolved that into kind of taking, taking it in. That is a, is a record maker. And were you self-taught on guitar primarily? Yeah, I mean, I learned some chords from some people and like just just some ideas, but I'm just not a proficient guitar player at all. Like even the E, you know, the B string I thought was, you know, supposed to be tuned. So I always I always tune that in a different different string. Right, right. Um, so that that's kind of different with the chords I do. So it, it, it's a different tuning. Right, right. Some of the stuff like sideways can ring out a little bit better with the way I play it. You know it ain't easy For these thoughts to leave me There are no words to describe it In France or in England Cause diamonds ain't fake Flowers they bloom, and I'm telling you that these feelings won't go. Oh, it's funny, we reading guitar tabs on on some of those songs. I'm like, no, nah, that's not it. Yeah, that's not how it goes. That's funny. I do remember um, you performed with us with Soul Live at the Brooklyn Bowl once, and I was trying to learn. Uh, some of the voicings that you were playing and they were definitely like unique. Uh, I was like trying to figure out if it was tuning or how you were fingering it, but that, that would make sense that some of it yeah. is tuned a little different. It's tuned um, a little different. I, I think you're a great guitar player, especially in terms of like accompanying your songs. One of my favorite shows that I saw you at was in Boston. You did a bunch of broken down like solo gigs. And I know you've done that throughout, but I had never seen you do that. And I thought right. like the songs were so compelling in that atmosphere and in that room. I forget what room that was actually. I think that was the Wilbur Theater. Yes, it was the Wilbur Theater. Yeah. But I really, really enjoyed that. I was in town with G Love and we were doing this show and we were like, Oh man, Cope's playing the solo show and we came over there. And Alice actually performed with Eric Deutsch just like the two of them too, which was really cool. Right, right, right. That was a that was a great tour. But yeah, I think that your songwriting is is so unique and uh, 
And I, I, you know, I don't really, I think that's part of like what really drew me into your music was that you paint, you, you not only set a mood, but you, there's so much, um, imagery and cinematic kind of feel to your writing and i'm curious if you can pinpoint any lyricists that that influenced you or maybe inspired you to develop your style in that way i loved like the lyricism of um randy newman i thought he yeah. was like one of the greats um or is it you know um a lot of hip hop lyricism, you know, yeah, I think there yeah. was such great poetry in that stuff and point of view. Yeah, yeah. It kind of really was able to, I don't think my music would have been able to be where it was without kind of some of the poetry and, and some of the records that were being made, you know, through hip hop. And, and so I, I, I guess my lyrics were kind of always just kind of what I was in it for. I kind of learn, you know, I can sing, but I'm not like a great singer. I can stay in tune and I can put my heart into it, but that's not like my, my songwriting is probably where, where, where my key is. And in terms of finding the production that, that best uh, showcase those songs, what was, what was the process like for you? I know you like were programming drums and. Yeah, I was doing, you know, the MPC first, like I got yeah. a, a rolling R8 and then I got an MPC and I learned to like the SP 1200s. And then I had like yeah. an Insonic built those up, kind of like learned those things and then got into, you know, obviously the drums at live go-go's were a lot stronger and with great drummers. So I kind of combined what I'd learned with, with those machines, with live drummers and, and, and kind of wanted it to sound cool. And right, at the right. same time, kind of having sometimes a counterculture view, having what I, what I had and not be like a preach, but like have something like cool to listen to and just also have the ability to say something, but also sound cool. Cause I think that was, you know, all those heavy drums and stuff like that always attracted me, you know? So it was something that was like, it was hard to kind of maneuver that because there was other instrumentation. And I think a lot in hip hop, we don't realize there's just not a lot battling against those drums. So when you start adding organs, which I always love like the organs and the strings and stuff like that, it's kind of a delicate balance. Yeah. I, I noticed um, on the production of, well, your your not your most recent, but heroin and helicopters, uh, a lot more strings and a lot more like lush uh, textures in there. Right. Who who did you did you work with other producers on that record? I worked with with Chris Bars, who who I used the MP a little bit on this record, but yeah. I used a, a, a drum machine because I was just like, all right, I, I want to kind of not program the drums. You know, I know what I want to play, but I want to try some different sounds and different. Uh, would use the machine on stuff, but yeah, also yeah. give you access to different sounds. I studied a lot about the Stevie Wonder records that were done in the um, 70s. Yeah, and, and Music of My Mind and Songs of the Key of Life and all that stuff. They were using this this old ARP 2600. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I've, I've rented that thing a couple times and, and James played it on Something to Believe In, a song I did called Something to Believe, yeah. James Poyser.
but it's hard getting a real, real sound out of it. So we got like a digital kind of like version of it, but yeah, I still want to get back to that, the actual thing. So, it, so kind of using some analog sense and stuff like that, trying to, trying to get work with that. But then also I did stuff in, in DC where I just recorded it the way I'd, I've done in the past with Buggy and Mike Neal. Similar to what I have experienced in terms of, albums recording the recording business you've been through a lot of labels and also lived through this like i i want to say evolution but also kind of like a fall of the record industry where artists have had to like regroup and you've like sustained yourself multiple multiple times like through these different transitions Uh, you know i basically just wanted to like talk a little bit about that but more specifically like in the beginning, you know, how you initially linked up with Capital and because it, it, I mean, listening to your first record, to me, it's like timeless, but not of that time per se. Like to that, to, so, at that time, so many things were like glossy and really right. overproduced. And I felt like you were like such a raw talent and a raw artist. And I'm curious how that got on the desks of, of Capital and how that, you know, became what it did. It's wild. And like I was, you know, sending demos to everybody and hunting everybody, you know, the whole thing, yeah, like yeah. send, send it even a FedEx packs, maybe they'll <laughs> listen to it. Yeah. You know, that whole trick got a little vibe from an indie label that was attached to a major, but they didn't, they like passed on me. And then they sent it, they said, Oh, but we'll give it to this woman at Capitol. And it actually ended up in a unsolicited pile of Capitol records and Marshall Altman, who's like, a producer now and also songwriter, but was a scout of Capitol and, you know, became an A&R person there, but he, he kind of got it out of the unsolicited pile was listening to tons of tapes and like, Oh shit. And it didn't have, he says it didn't have any information on it. And he looked at the bottom of the thing and there was a, there was a letter that said, if you like these, I'll send you my hits. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So uh, he called me up and then we just continued the dialogue and basically got a demo deal, uh, $5,000 to go cut three songs. And, and I cut them in DC and mixed them in LA and, uh, delivered the thing and it kind of in between the time that I got my demo deal, Polygram had come down and come see me play live. And then they, you know, they asked me, you know, it was like London records. So they asked me to do a deal or like a real deal. So I, like, I walked up, you know, I got on the train and had a real record deal before I had a manager or a lawyer. Wow. Crazy. So it was kind of like, I was like, all right, cool. You know, I didn't, you know, it came to see me once. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's when things were going, going like that, but I've been trying to get in the door for like o- over seven, eight years. So wow, it was, okay. didn't happen fast at all. Like right. it was like capital ended up offering me a deal once they heard the demo. So I ended up doing that and the record that I made for them, they didn't want to put out. So they dropped me. Right. So I had to like figure out how to write a whole bunch of new songs because I had the re-recording restriction. I'd write a whole bunch of new songs. Wow. So you couldn't even use the songs that, yeah. that were on the record that they shelved. 
Yeah, which I thought was like my masterpiece, but it turned yeah. out that it just kind of made me write better songs. So right. it's just like I just went in, wrote Salvation, wrote If There's Love, yeah, uh, wrote Hands of the Saints, and then kind of like I cold called Lenny Warnker, could work with um, Randy Newman, and then his assistant walked in and said, you know, I never said this, Lenny, but you got to take this this young man's call. And so we talked and then he gave me 7,000 to go make it. And I called up Neil Pogue who worked with the Outcast records. Yeah. And I was like, man, I love the way your shit sounds, man. I got to get, you know, and can you give me with Preston Crump too, the yeah. bass player? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And he hooked up that and he hooked up a session, went down to his house and, and worked on, you know, the drums and, Cut the song, cut if there's love, and then like it, it Usher's house. Usher was making a movie. Wow, crazy. And um he had a studio there that used to be LA Reads. And so I cut if there's love there and it was like, oh okay, this is it's on right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if there's crazy that the songs that you essentially had to throw away at the time uh you know inspired you to to go to go further and potentially like you know make even better songs so did you end up ever releasing the songs from that first i haven't released them yet but i just did uh like five of them with on my new record, The Pearl right. and Niagara Falls, which is out. So five of those songs are from that era. Right. And they've right. never been released. So it was kind of like, let me just do some new ones and then do some old ones. Right, right. No, I did I did know that some of those were um from back in the day, but I didn't realize it was from that from those sessions or from those recordings. So what label ended up putting that next project out? Well they it ended up Universal DreamWorks did it. DreamWorks, um, okay. But I, I DreamWorks passed on it after I got gave him the demo. Yeah. And um then it turned into like, you know, everybody lent Lior and Jimmy wanting it. And then like I just ended up going with DreamWorks. Right. Which right. is probably not the best move, but it, it was the move. So I made it happen. Right, right. And then that was that was a tough situation. That record came out and kind of flopped. And then and they took it off the shelf and then the CDs were going for $50.75 on eBay. So it was like, okay, Crazy. there's a vibe to this. And I, I got the Santana call to do, to do sideways on his record. And I already recorded it for my second record. And I kind of given DreamWorks, Sun's Gonna Rise and Sideways and been like, went to talk to the radio and marketing team. It was like, yo, what do y'all think? And I kind of was like, didn't get the super excited like thing. So I was like, man, and I, I got a taste of what Arista was like at the time, which is a big, you know, pop label. And I was like, man, I'm feeling these guys are like they're throwing parties for the number one, you know, like, you know, they're all like inclusive, like, you know, inviting me to stuff. And 
and all around this record release. And then it had me go out and, and perform with Carlos in Europe. And so then, you know, I asked Lenny to be let go of the contract and, you know, he was just like, uh, man, this is like when Neil Young said he wanted to get dropped and, you know, he yeah, hit me yeah. with the real guilty thing, you know, but I always had a really good relationship with Lenny, you know, creatively, but it was just a marketing promotion over there. It just wasn't set up. It was like very few executives and very few artists survived that fucking company. Right. Like not saying anything against them, but like, God damn, like, yeah, that shit was just rough. And I, I made good relationships with Michael Goldstone and, and those people were good, like good people. It's just like that, you know, it didn't have a history of, of selling records. So it was kind of difficult for them. So I went to Arista, man, and just did the Santana thing and made the Clarence Greenwood recordings. And it was like the easiest, beautiful, most dopest thing. I didn't have the money for a producer. So I just spent the money on the studio. I had, you know, assistant at the time at Electric Lady was game engineer and um, uh, we made a classic. Yeah, I mean, that record, you know, is, is legendary. We'll be right back after a quick message from our sponsors. So through all this, were you doing your own shows and and touring, you know, throughout these periods? On the first record, I I did like opening slots. Like right. I toured with Nelly Furtado with me and a drum machine. Right, and then right. I, I did like six or seven shows with live. And then I was really not building, you know, the 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 live thing early. It wasn't. So I was like, you know, I've been studying like how Modeski and and Martin and Wood and and like Robert and G Love before me and all those yeah. cats had like kind of taken on the live thing. So I was like that that's really where I was. I knew that's where it was, you know, and, and on a bigger level, Dave Matthews and the Grateful Dead and all these people, yeah. but just saw that it was possible on it and saw the hustle of some even, you know, smaller regional bands that I knew people in that were that were traveling. So I was just like, how do you build this? And I and I started doing a couple of shows. Um, Jess Herman actually told hooked me up with who was working at the bottom the bottom line in New York. She was working there, and I started doing things there and realizing there was something out there, you know, a little bit of something. And then I went up, just like call this guy to Ten Angel. I went to Ten Angel, and that was sold out. So I was like, there's something going on and and did a couple little Boston things, but I didn't really get the touring things going yet. Uh, after the first record, it was kind of like the tour support went to go on that you know, for title record. And, and that, after that, I was just like, let me just develop myself as a headliner. Yeah. So in between making that record, I would shoot down to Philly and do that or hit the Mercury Lounge and do that. So it just started popping it. And, and then we we did some dates with Anthony Hamilton and 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 stuff like that New York and LA I did the residency in New York Boston Philly and DC so I did the whole month right of of August uh leading up to the record being released and yep. and just kind of like 
that residency was just a bomb because it was like I was giving the record out already and the record wasn't out. And there was just like buzz by the time the record came out the last day of the residency and it was in New York and, you know, sold out the the electric factory. Right, right. I think it's like 400 people, but that was still like a really good ascension to kind of like go up to. You have such a unique path because even though you had major label behind you a lot of the moves that really made you successful were on you you know what i mean and it, and also had a really organic like like i found out about your music well i, I guess early on we'd actually did shows together like in 2005 or 6 i think but i started hearing you in movies and in in yeah. television and being yeah. like what is this and yeah. it's funny because after you, there was a that was like became a thing. You like in the late two thousand, you know, in two mid two thousands, and after that became like uh, a real like a, a breeding ground for how people were discovered. But yeah. like I noticed that with you with that record, and even some of your previous stuff was that I would hear it in a film, and 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 find you through that. You know, and then and then at that same time period, I saw that you were doing doing these shows. I know I don't know how much the label had to do with um, licensing. We had a really good licensing person at, and she's still there at RCA, Karen Lambertson. She was like, she's like the boss. Yeah, yeah. So she got a lot of really cool things going on. But I think it was also that the man, the record was just buzzing. Right. You know, even before it was out and the song, the record was good. So I got some good licenses on the DreamWorks thing, but nothing compared to the Clarence Greenwood recording. So that was like, you know, I'm always looking at movies and I'm very, the music works well because it's kind of slower. Yeah, yeah. So I think it works with, with visuals somehow. Sometimes I'm not comfortable with watching like a sink or whatever, but yeah, sometimes yeah. it's like, oh, that's dope. Yeah, that's that really works. Cool. Yeah. Sometimes I feel a little embarrassed. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> it depends on what it is, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of those in the early days with Soul Live, and some of them were definitely a little bit, uh, you know, I, I won't necessarily watch again. I remember doing, there was a tour that Soul Live did with Citizen Cope, and that was when you had um, the big band with... Uh, Oh man, Ginty was on keys, yeah. and yeah. it was the it was a camel sponsored oh, thing. God, Do you yeah. remember that? Oh, and yeah. I remember though that our management was so worried about doing like a camel thing, and we were kind of too. But we were we were like, oh man, should we do this? Should we do this? And at that time, you know, it kind of seemed like a weird thing to be connected to. But then we did the shows, and no one. Not one person ever commented like, why yeah. you guys do the camel? You know, it was like, they were like, oh, did you notice there was free? Like, no one even knew. They just went in. They, they, they All they knew is that there was free cigarettes. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a, an interesting uh, tour. I think it was even, was it free? I was trying to remember if like. Yeah, I think it was free or something. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think that was one of the better moves I made, but yeah. I, like after that, I was able to put everyone on retainer for a while. So it was like, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not proud of that. I did get a couple, uh, some shit for some people. Oh, like, you did? Okay. Like, I, I was curious. Cause... You would, it, it was what it was at the time. So it was kind of a difficult time to kind of like, as you know, even when you're first starting the tour, like you can go out there on the road and not make any money and actually oh, yeah. have some big 
big tours and then, you know, end up owing your management money, you know? Oh yeah. I've been there. And then like, so it's like some of those licenses were getting eaten up to kind of tour at that point, you know, when you, you know, we're done with that and it's just the way it is. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, um, people coming up now? Do you have any, like, you know, in terms of navigating how music is put out, um, you know, whether it's DSPs or, you know, people doing the DIY thing, would you have any, any insight that you'd pass on to an artist that was trying to kind of ascend in the current, current day? The number one thing is just, just to make your stuff, your, your, your own and, and, and try to like make something incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really something about it. It's trying to make something last just developing going one step at a time and really putting your work into it. Cause it's not like, it's not, it's not like, Oh, I get to do music. I don't have to have a nine to five. It's like, no, you're going to be working, you know, yeah, yeah. a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think that there's advantages um, to how things have changed and how music is distributed now? Well, I, I, I think there are. I think that is there, but I think what's happened is that the, the, the music industry undervalued the content for so long. Right. So they were more concentrating on, okay, that's, that's always going to come in. We got that catalog. Now we got to concentrate on this. And so the new regimes come in when it became corporate, we lost our record men, you yeah, know, like right. a record man is real important. Like yeah. somebody you can have in the studio or call up and be like, Hey, do you like this song? Yeah. Like yeah. that shit like is invaluable. Like me and me and Michael Goldstone, we, we didn't agree on everything, but he was like, Hey man, I think you should write the verse to let the drummer kick. Cause I, I had all the song, but I didn't have the verses. Yeah. And he kind of pushed me to do that. And, and you know, that song ended up being the, you know, years later, a big song. I got to give credit to the record people that I was around. Just not, I mean, musicians are one thing and musicians are good, but then there's someone that's like, okay, I'm gonna have to pay the bills, but also I love what you do and I can, I can, I can help you get there. I think Lon Ball was one of those guys, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lenny was one of them. I think LA was really creative in a different way with me. So I had like a really strong line of like, really dope record man i think that's yeah, what's yeah. missing right now with the ability to go independent i still don't have that 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 um yeah. kind of exposure and that ability to kind of get better i think a lot of artists now don't even know that what that is really <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. i explained that like we worked with bruce lundball a, a lot in our early days being on blue note capital and he he was so crucial in those days for us as young artists, because without him, we didn't, we didn't know we needed anyone else to make records. You know what right. I mean? Cause we were like, Oh, yeah. we can play. We got songs. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. that in between, like there's no, and, and it's funny cause we used to always hate on like the gatekeepers, but right, to a right. certain degree, they did keep a certain amount of quality <laughs> to the albums that were coming out. Sometimes they were detrimental to the creativity, but in yeah. a lot of cases, like now, the other thing that happens now is there's just so much music out there because people are just like dumping everything into the internet, you know, and it get, it's so cloudy um, to try to find the best music as a consumer. Um 
But then, yeah, but also like artists just put out so much music that it's hard for me to understand what their strengths are. You know what I mean? Or to like know, okay, because like you said, so there, there's not a lot of guidance um, in the industry. I think like for for people that have experience and have been making records, I love being able to hear um, them put out more music that's not like held back by some timeline that a label puts in place. I think that part is good. I, I, I'd absolutely agree that the record man um, has been lost in the shuffle. You know yeah, I mean, it's kind of sad. It's like, damn, there used to be these record men around and it's just yeah. like they don't have the power anymore. So it's it's you got... And that's the way the change. I mean, I, the music, since we've been in, it's probably changed like eight significant times and yeah. we're still doing it. So it's like there's... The power is on our side, obviously. Like, yeah. I feel so, it's weird. It's like I got four gold singles and and it took, you know, whatever, 10 years for that to happen over time. You know, right. it took a long time, but it shows like there's still things, there's still discovery happening. You know, I didn't, you know, things are, are, are really cool. And that, and that, you know, I think with young artists, they just have to, they have to get to the grindstone and hustle. It's a whole different hustle now where we used to like try to do open mics. And I mean, I still, I, I still tell people like get your open mic. If you can't get a gig, rent a sound system and, and get some club to, 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 to do the thing and take money, have your friend take money at the door. You have to do those things and, and, in, in order to kind of get it moving and, you know, get your first hundred people, get your first hundred fans, you right, know, aside right, right. from your family. I Sometimes I feel like you have to go out there and fuck up and fail. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you sometimes, fail a lot. yeah. Um, did you ever have issues with performing on stage? And Yeah, I had bad stage, right? You know, that's why I kind of forced myself to do open mics. And that was like, put myself in a position to kind of, realize that it wouldn't be celebrated. So I was always kind of like that, not trying to rock the crowd too hard, just trying to get connect to the song. And I think I had a hard time for a long time, even when it was a full room, realizing that like I didn't have to prove something tonight. So it's like, that's what's beautiful about the evolution of performing is, because I got this into this as a songwriter and wanted to produce and make records. And then it turned into performing. Like I only became an artist because I needed somebody to produce and yeah. write for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, that was a similar uh, situation for me when I started making my solo albums was like I was sitting in there producing tracks, writing songs and waiting on artists, you know, and eventually I was yeah. like, okay, I'm just going to do this because if I don't, I'm going to be sitting here, <laughs> you know, on too many, too many records. I actually had Farrell Monch um, on the, podcast and we discussed uh that night i don't know if you remember this but we uh i was working with pharaoh on his record which you know was a huge i mean i'm a huge fan of his i've right. been working with quali and and with gene gray and then when pharaoh came along to to work on some shit i was like very excited we were in my my old studio in brooklyn and we had it was must have been around the time that we had done those shows or at least you and i had been talking they were in the studio and we were working on on this song called The Grand Illusion. And yeah. we were trying to get this sound, this 70s sound, and we were trying to get the vibe. 
and we finally got the drums and the track sounding how we want it and Jean Grey was like singing this hook and she was like oh man I wish I I wish I could get Citizen Cope on this record. And I looked up and I was looked at my phone and I think you and I had texted that day for some reason cuz so I was like, "Yo, right. where are you at?" and you're like, "I'm in Brooklyn." And I was like, "Well, do you want me to try to text to get him over here?" They were like, "What?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I could text him." And I texted you and you came through like that night. I think we, it yeah. was already like 10 and you came through like, you know, late night. And you did, you laid down, laid down the track. We listened to it a bunch of times and you were out, you know, and that, that record is still one of my favorite, um, hip hop records I've ever worked on just cause it has such a unique sound and combination. Um, but it was just one of those like cool moments where things just kind of lined up in this perfect weird way. It was a rare thing like that. I would, sing something that I didn't write. So I was right, just like, right. I was like, all right, you know, I, but I, I'll do it. It was cool. It was like Feral Monch. It's like Feral Monch. How, how else am I going to get on a Feral Monch record? <laughs> right. I remember saying that. I was like, well, I've never heard him like sing a cover really, but, and it wasn't really a cover, but it was something that they had written. But, yeah. um, but that shit came out really cool. And it sounded, it didn't sound out of place like at all. You know, it sounded, it, it, it worked, you know. So as far as um, what's happening now, I know your your most recent album, um, The Pull of Niagara Falls, uh, maybe you could just tell me a little bit more about that. I know that a lot of it was older, older tracks. Mostly it's just you performing, you know. It's just me and a guitar. One song is a piano a song. It's a very personal kind of record. The first record was called Shotguns that yeah. didn't come out. So it's it's just it was dealing with kind of the symbolism of the shotgun and, and fear in America. Right. And it was the time I was dealing with like that and 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 kind of just the symbol of this of the shotgun, whether it's like um you know, fear and, and mass incarceration and all this kind of stuff going on from cities to these rural counties where they're building all these prisons. And it was kind of just that that scene. And you know, it was an accidental homicide kind of like story. And and so it was like a lot of dark, deep themes, you right. know, that right. aren't really popular, uncelebrated characters. You know, it's just yeah. something like it was kind of my version of blood on the tracks or or Nebraska, like I studied a lot, listened to a, read a lot about how Bruce recorded that Nebraska record. Because yeah. I've had hard times doing acoustic records before. I don't know why, but it just doesn't seem. So when I went back to these old songs and just did them, they, they seemed to fit. And that kind of led me to the new songs that I did. And and so it's essentially kind of like the pull of Niagara Falls, like the gravitational pull to fall right. and a gravitational pull to live. So it's like, about, you know, same theme, endurance, tainted with some danger, you know. Right, right. And it, as soon as it came on, it brought me to a place. And I like I like I said before, that kind of cinematic um, imagery and the mood of it. um just like felt so good it was um i didn't know i didn't know what i didn't know what to expect i didn't like do my research before i kind of listened to it and then went okay where where are these songs like from or whatever um but i was really happy to hear you do that like acoustic intimate thing especially having seen you do that all going all the way back to the wilbur theater and seeing the impact um 
of how you know how you perform your songs like it's such a pure album um yeah i mean i i just did that kind of how i started writing in that way in that genre so it was kind of a good document to be able to document that yeah now after the songs have been written and then the new stuff and it's slow and some people are like are you all right man are you depressed i'm like no man i'm fucking happy bro it's good i'm good yeah i'm good and 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 it's just it's just a theme of an album it's like you know a lot of people are struggling and i think you know it's it's just letting people know that they're not alone um, are you planning to now that things are opening up again? Are you going to do some kind of solo tours or? Yeah, I'm going to do this January, February, probably solo or just like limited, and then uh, band in in April, May, and then I'm doing some shows next week in New York just to just to check it out, you know? Yeah, just to, just to see what's going on. But I'm going to do. We're also doing the first Alice and Cope shows. Oh, which are going to be like Al Smith and, and Citizen Cope. We're going to have one band. We're, we're just going to do three. And uh, so you guys will do like your own catalog and then are you guys going to perform together too? I think we'll have one band. We, she yeah. do some songs. I do some songs. Maybe we do some songs together, but kind of oh. like make it like a review. Well, man, thank you for taking the time to, to talk with me. And uh, I hope I get to see you and see you perform some of this music, man. Thank you, Kaz, man. Take care of yourself, man. I want to thank Cope for being on the show today. Really cool to catch up with him. And before we go, I'm going to play a song off of his brand new album called The Pull of Niagara Falls. And this track is called A Time Comes Around. Well, on the stairwell, we 
Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kras. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email krasplus1 at gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Osiris.